There's a lot of confusion among people and misinformation surrounding face masks. Can you discuss that? The masks are important for someone who's infected to prevent them from infecting someone else. Now, when you see people and look at the films in China and South Korea, whatever, everybody's wearing a mask. Right now in the United States, people should not be walking around with masks. You're sure of it, because people are listening really no, closely to this. Right now, people should not be walking. There's no reason to be walking around with a mask. When you're in the middle of an outbreak, wearing a mask might make people feel a little bit better, and it might even block a, a droplet, but it's not providing the perfect protection that people think that it is. And often, there are unintended consequences. People keep fiddling with the mask and they keep touching their face. And can you get some schmutz sort of uh, staying uh, inside uh, there? Of course, of course. Hello, everybody. You've just heard the voice of Anthony Fauci giving his view on the efficacy and safety of masks at the beginning of the COVID era. That's the quote I used to open chapter two of the Measuring the Mandates essay, which I'm going to read out here. When compared to the controversies of excess deaths, accusations of manslaughter, life-changing vaccine injuries, and the inhumanity of lockdowns, the issue of mask mandates may seem like a relative triviality. If they helped stop the spread, then great. And if not, what did we really lose by trying? The deeper questions raised by mandates are, however, at what point is it acceptable for one group of people to impose medical interventions upon others? Is it after a certain amount of scientific evidence of efficacy has accumulated? Is it when a certain level of popular consent is attained? Can it only be done after a thorough study of potential harms? And what about the very nature of mandates? To what extent do any unintended and adverse effects of mandating behaviour need to be taken into account? This raises the further question, if mandates turn out to have a counterproductive or even harmful effect, what sanction should fall upon those who impose them? Subtitle, Mask Mandate Efficacy. As the opening quotation of Dr. Anthony Fauci illustrates, at the start of the COVID era, masks were not generally regarded as helpful in preventing the spread of viruses. This is reflected in the mask literature up until 2020. As an example from the New England Journal of Medicine, quote, we know that wearing a mask outside healthcare facilities offers little, if any, protection from infection. In many cases, the desire for widespread masking is a reflexive reaction to anxiety over the pandemic. End quote. And to quote the Centers for Disease Control, the CDC, we did not find evidence that surgical type face masks are effective in reducing laboratory confirmed influenza transmission, either when worn by infected persons or by persons in the general community to reduce their susceptibility. End quote. The World Health Organization's pandemic planning document from 2020 acknowledged that there was no evidence that face masks were effective at reducing transmission in the community. The WHO conditionally recommended masks on the basis of a mechanistic plausibility for potential effectiveness. Indeed, in March 2020, US Surgeon General Dr. Jerome Adams even went so far as to say masks might actually increase the likelihood of infection. By May, a turn of opinion emerged. A paper published in The Lancet acknowledged the absence of evidence for masking, 
but claimed this did not amount to evidence of absence. Begin quote. However, there is an essential distinction between absence of evidence and evidence of absence. Evidence that face masks can provide effective protection against respiratory infections in the community is scarce, as acknowledged in recommendations from the UK and Germany. However, face masks are widely used by medical workers as part of droplet precautions when caring for patients with respiratory infections. It would be reasonable to suggest vulnerable individuals avoid crowded areas and use surgical face masks rationally when exposed to high-risk areas. As evidence suggests, COVID-19 could be transmitted before symptom onset. Community transmission might be reduced if everyone wears face masks. End quote. By September, the New England Journal of Medicine reported that, begin quote, As SARS-CoV-2 continues its global spread, it's possible that one of the pillars of COVID-19 pandemic control, universal face masking, might help reduce the severity of disease and ensure that a greater proportion of new infections are asymptomatic. End quote. At this time, CDC Director Robert Redfield became so confident in masking, he stated that, quote, I might even go so far as to say that this face mask is more guaranteed to protect me against COVID than when I take a COVID vaccine. End quote. It's fair to say that the issue of masking transcended science and became politicised. This politicisation was exasperated by the especially contentious US election of 2020. Over the following months, a number of studies were published which concluded both for and against masking. The former category was of course employed to justify mask mandates. Some in this category looked only at the mechanistic plausibility of the masks, whilst others were substantially critiqued for containing obvious methodological flaws. Two of the most prominent were conducted in Denmark and Bangladesh. The Dane Mask 19 study, published in March of 2021, found no personal protective effect from masking. It was critiqued for setting too high a bar for success. The Bangladesh study showed no benefit from cloth masking, the only kind that was ever mandated, but found surgical masks lowered rates of COVID-19 by 11.2%. This study was critiqued for significant bias. The most definitive review of mask efficacy, due to it being a meta-study, must be the Cochrane Database's Physical Intervention to Interrupt or Reduce the Spread of Acute Respiratory Viruses, published in January of 2023. The review concluded that, quote, The pooled results of randomised control trials did not show a clear reduction in respiratory viral infection with the use of medical or surgical masks. There were no clear differences between the use of medical surgical masks compared with N95 stroke P2 respirators in healthcare workers when used in routine care to reduce respiratory viral infection. End quote. Lead author Dr. Tom Jefferson commented that, quote, Governments had bad advisors from the beginning. They were convinced by non-randomised and flawed observational studies. A lot of it had to do with appearing as if they were doing something. There's no evidence that masks work. It's possible they could work in some settings. We'd know if we'd done trials. All you need was for Tedros, from the World Health Organization, to declare it's a pandemic and they could have randomised half of the United Kingdom or half of Italy to masks and the other half to no masks. But they didn't. Instead, they ran around like headless chickens. End quote. 
Whilst it is true that some epidemiologists contend Dr. Campbell draws too critical a conclusion from his data, an accusation he certainly does not accept, even if this is allowed, the evidence for masking is at best weak and in greater likelihood non-existent. This would explain why the effects of masking are consistently invisible in real-world comparisons. The debate is really not just about whether masks can be shown to work at all or not. If a person chooses to wear one in spite of the lack of evidence, that's their business. But what level of evidence would be required to mandate masks? And has that level been reached? A thought experiment might be instructive. Would any of the evidence for masking convince you that it is okay to engage in a behaviour whilst wearing a mask that you wouldn't engage in otherwise? The universal answer is no. If you cannot stand closer to somebody when masked, shouldn't you stand further away when unmasked? This is really the acid test, as if people truly believed masking worked, they would set different risk levels whilst wearing them. The fact that behaviours are recommended to remain the same, masked and unmasked, flies in the face of this. Subtitle. Mask Mandate Harms. In April of 2020, the British Medical Journal published a letter from epidemiologist Dr Antonio Lazzarino. Regarding the mandating of masks, he cautioned, quote, The precautionary principle aims at preventing researchers and policymakers from neglecting potentially harmful side effects of interventions. Before implementing clinical and public health interventions, one must actively hypothesise and describe potential side effects and only then decide whether they are worth being quantified or not. End quote. It would of course be no good thing if masks were ineffective. However, if that were the limit of it, it could perhaps be argued that this isn't too bad, just a waste of some money on an ineffective preventative measure. If mask mandates are actively harmful, however, this would of course be far worse. Serious concerns over the potentially harmful side effects of mask mandates have taken the following forms. Subtitle. Masks restrict breathing and increase levels of carbon dioxide. A letter to the Belgian authorities, signed by 762 medical doctors and a further 2,931 medically trained health professionals, stated that, quote, Wearing a mask is not without side effects. Oxygen deficiency occurs fairly quickly, an effect similar to altitude sickness. Every day we now see patients complaining of headaches, sinus problems, respiratory problems and hyperventilation due to wearing masks. In addition, the accumulated CO2 leads to a toxic acidification of the organism which affects our immunity. End quote. The Belgian doctors are not restricted to just their observations in support of these claims. Several studies have observed how masks adversely affect breathing and the knock-on effects this has on health. This has been of particular concern with regard to the performance of surgeons. The direct relevance of this is that numerous studies have demonstrated a link between hypoxia, low oxygen blood levels, and suppression of the immune system. This is not to mention cancer and heart disease. Even if masks do keep viruses out, or in, then how should this be balanced against plausible immune system suppression? It must be acknowledged that not all mask studies have found breathing impairment but the precautionary principle demands that the studies that have are given consideration. A recent meta-study concluded, quote, 
This systemic review comprehensively revealed ample evidence for multiple adverse physiometabolic and clinical outcomes of medical face masks, with worse outcomes in the case of N95 masks. This can have long-term clinical consequences, especially for vulnerable groups. For example, children, pregnant women, older adults, and the ill. Besides transient and progressive hypoxemia and individualized clinical symptoms, our findings are in line with reports on face masks causing downstream aberrations at the organ, cellular, and microbiome levels and support the mask-induced exhaustion syndrome. From our point of view, whilst a short-term application of the mask seems to be less harmful, longer and long-term use may cause a shift towards the pathophysiological direction. So far, several mask-induced exhaustion syndrome symptoms may have been misinterpreted as long COVID-19 symptoms. End quote. Subtitle. Masks are a breeding ground for bacteria. However credible the idea that breathing behind a barrier may guard against viral transmission may be, surely the idea that placing a damp and dirty rag in front of one's breathing apparatus could cause harm is at least equally plausible. In recognition of this fact, the Journal of the American Medical Association advises, quote, Before putting on a face mask, wash your hands with soap and water for at least 20 seconds or use an alcohol-based hand sanitizer with at least 60% alcohol. Without touching the front of the mask, secure the ties behind your ears or head. While wearing the mask, do not touch the mask or your face. When removing the mask, take off the ear loops or ties first. Do not touch the front of the mask or your face when removing the mask. After removing the mask, wash your hands with soap and water for at least 20 seconds or use hand sanitizer. Face masks should be washed routinely with soap and water or laundry detergent to prevent contamination. End quote. It is perhaps self-evident that the vast majority of the general public were not adhering to such standards over a prolonged time period. Neither could they realistically be expected to. Various studies have confirmed the self-evident presence of bacteria on masks. A group of parents in Florida became so concerned about the effects of wearing masks, they sent six to the University of Florida for analysis. The resulting report found that five masks were contaminated with bacteria, parasites, and fungi, including three with dangerous pathogenic and pneumonia-causing bacteria. Whilst there is obviously no chain of custody with these masks, it is a testimony to what concerned citizens can do, and is supported by other findings. Besides it being common sense that it is not good to inhale bacteria, the role of bacteria in pandemics is not reckoned to be small. The 2008 paper, co-authored by Dr. Anthony Fauci, discussing the role of secondary bacterial pneumonia in the Spanish flu, was discussed in Chapter 1. It is worth re-quoting here. Quote, People who died of influenza during 1918-19 uniformly exhibited severe changes indicative of bacterial pneumonia. Bacteriological and histopathological results from published autopsy series clearly and consistently implicated secondary bacterial pneumonia caused by common upper respiratory tract bacteria in most influenza fatalities. The majority of deaths in the 1918-19 influenza pandemic likely resulted directly from secondary bacterial pneumonia caused by common upper respiratory tract bacteria. 
less substantial data from the subsequent 1957 and 1968 pandemics are consistent with these findings. If severe pandemic influenza is largely a problem of viral bacteria co-pathogenesis, pandemic planning needs to go beyond addressing the viral cause alone. Prevention, diagnosis, prophylaxis, and treatment of secondary bacterial pneumonia, as well as stockpiling of antibiotics and bacterial vaccines, should also be high priorities for pandemic planning. End quote. Given Dr. Fauci's involvement with this study, it is surprising he has not mentioned it during his transition from mask cynic to advocate. Subtitle. Masks and all-cause mortality. By comparing mortality rates in Kansas counties with and without mask mandates, Dr. Zacharias Fogan studied whether masks decrease or increase all-cause mortality. He concluded that, quote, Results from this study strongly suggest that mass mandates actually caused about 1.5 times the number of deaths, or 50% more deaths, compared to no mask mandates. This means that the risk for the individual wearing the mask should even be higher, because there is an unknown number of people in mask mandate counties who either do not obey mask mandates, are exempted for medical reasons, or do not go to public places where mask mandates are in effect. These people do not have an increased risk, and thus the risk on other people under a mask mandate is actually higher. End quote. Subtitle. Masks cause viruses to be re-inhaled. Dr. Fogan contends that the vast majority of the excess deaths in the mask-mandated counties were due to the re-inhalation of the COVID-19 virus. In what he terms the Fogan effect, quote, the fundamentals of this effect are easily demonstrated when wearing a face mask and glasses at the same time by pulling the upper edge of the mask over the lower edge of the glasses. Droplets appear on the mask when breathing out and disappear when breathing in. In the Fogan effect, the virons spread, because of their smaller size, deeper into the respiratory tract. They bypass the bronchi and are inhaled deep into the alveoli where they can cause pneumonia instead of the bronchitis, which would be typical of a virus infection. End quote. Subtitle. Masks are composed of chemicals which can be toxic. In 2021, Health Canada advised Canadians not to use disposable face masks that contained graphene. This warning came after masks containing potentially harmful toxic material were distributed to schools and healthcare facilities. Daycare educators became suspicious of the masks due to feeling like they were swallowing cat hair whilst wearing them. It appears the science on the safety of masks itself is minimal. One paper indicates the presence of potential toxic titanium dioxide in the masks, whilst another looked at the microplastic inhalation and considered it to be minimal. Microplastics are certainly a problem for the environment, where they have been described as an environmental disaster that might last generations. Subtitle. Mask Mandates and Risk Compensation. It has not been uncommon to hear proponents of mask mandates compare them to seatbelt mandates. Controversial and resisted when introduced, but now overwhelmingly accepted as being in everyone's best interest. The comparison is not without its irony, as seatbelt laws have often been used to explain the difficulty of mandating for safety and the concept of risk compensation. Risk compensation suggests that people have a certain level of risk they find acceptable, and when safety measures are mandated, they will simply increase risky behaviour to keep that level consistent. 
It was originally studied when the introduction of mandatory seatbelt laws across the United States did not seem to deliver the expected drop in traffic fatalities. It appears people wearing seatbelts feel safer and therefore will drive slightly faster. It can be easy to understand this the other way around. Imagine how you might slow down and drive more carefully if you took your seatbelt off. Whether compensatory behaviours erase the benefits of safety mandates or not is a hotly contested issue. It has been particularly so during the COVID-19 era, with some claiming that the concept of risk compensation is overblown and has led to health authorities being too reticent to introduce mandates. Critics overwhelmingly agree, however, that there is some offsetting effect to safety regulations. The debate is in regard to how much. Those who advocate mask mandates in spite of risk compensation do so under the assumption that the masks are substantially effective at preventing viral spread. If this is not the case, or if the prevention is trivial, then masks can only act to increase risky behaviour. If the iatrogenic hypothesis, the hypothesis that COVID deaths were largely created by changes to medical systems, is correct, then this is irrelevant, as there is no risk to increase. By the standards of governments who mandated masks, however, this is not the case. There is serious risk posed by a deadly virus. In the absence of evidence for efficacy, we would have to conclude masks have not had a neutral, but a harmful effect. Whilst other issues of masks, such as their effects on childhood development and the publication of previously private medical information are of course major issues too, this chapter has sought to question whether masks can be justified even in terms of their stated goals. Irrespective of any downsides, do they actually improve physical health? Even ignoring health harms, it is clear that the evidence for masks is weak at best and more likely non-existent. If we include the potential harms, the risks cannot possibly be said to outweigh the negative consequences. Furthermore, it is not just a case of demonstrating a small effect, but of demonstrating a large and safe enough one to justify imposing masks on unwilling wearers. This condition, I will conclude, has clearly not been met.